Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Alex Coles from Evolve Capital Partners. And also on the line, we have Young Cho, he is the CFO, and Giannati Gurevich, the Chief Managing Officer of Alt Lending. Hello, everyone. Hello there. Hi. <laughs> Don't be shy. All right, so let's so, jump um, into Evolve, Evolve Capital Partners. Alex, why don't you give us an overview of the company, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd like to say, first off, thank you uh, very much for hosting this and uh, putting this uh, podcast together. Uh, we're very excited about it. Um, so I'm Alex Coles. I'm the CEO, founder, and managing director of Evolve Capital Partners. We're a uh, boutique investment bank based here in New York. Uh, and we focus on companies at the intersection of finance and technology. So you, you can think of it as being more uh, kind of fintech-ish at the end of the day. So we, we've got a pretty broad coverage base here from payments companies uh, to insurance technology, wealth technology, um, alternative lending, specialty finance companies to data and analytics. Um, you know, in terms of uh, what we do and where we cover, we're, we're, we're performing M&A uh, transactions and private placements and capital raises uh, for uh, uh, private companies. Uh, typically, enterprise values of about 25 to 30 million and above. Um, and our global and our client base is global in nature, as is our investor base as well too. So I'm very excited to to speak about blockchain and how it impacts our clients and uh, a lot of my accounts as well too. 
Excellent. So when your clients come to you, you know, what are some of the, the most asked for things that you provide, your services and whatnot? Yeah, so I, I would say, um, you know, our clients are typically um, privately held. Um, you know, most of them have for, some form of institutional capital uh, behind them, whether if that's uh, private equity or venture capital, other forms of institutional capital. But, you know, on the other hand, um, uh, some of our clients are entrepreneurial backed. And I like to preface it with those two points uh, because, you know, I, I often find that our clients um, – uh, if, if it comes to placing capital, uh, they often, um, you know, need assistance with structuring and placing the deal, and also they also need assistance with reaching into and uh, 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 putting together the deal with the right people at larger strategic investors. You know, and especially being here in New York, in the middle of uh, Midtown, uh, provides us kind of unparalleled access to those uh, larger institutions, and you know, a lot of our clients really appreciate that. So as an example, if they're doing a, uh, a financing or a capital raise, uh, we're able to uh, put together a series of meetings back-to-back uh, -back when they're here in New York to make really efficient use of time with the right, you know, larger financial institutions. Um, you know, I would say for M&A transactions, um, they're really looking for industry experts or specialists in kind of the fintech space. Um, you know, also being located in New York provides unparalleled access, uh, information flow um, that you're not going to get if you're, you know, an investment bank based in like, you know, Chicago or San Francisco. It's, it's a totally different kind of tone um, and information flow that you're going to get here versus elsewhere. Um, you know, and I think that's, I think that's, you know, a big reason. Also, you know, I find a lot of our clients are wanting, um, you know, a young, you know, very, uh, scrappy and, uh, determined group to, to back them, um, in a process. And you're just not going to get that at, you know, larger institutions, um, uh, in, in today's market environment. Yeah. You sound like you're approaching it from a fresh new outlook, maybe a more creative outlook as well. Absolutely, and, and you have to in, in today's environment with um, you know financial services and technology blending and changing uh, so quickly. Um, uh, you, you have to be on top of the trends. You have to be plugged into the right accounts and the right institutions. And so, you know, not to uh, uh, push this on the listeners or others, but we we do a lot of really forward-thinking research on kind of bleeding-edge areas in the broader fintech space. So. Um, we've got an upcoming quarterly news research piece coming out that's focusing on uh, the dynamics of machine learning and AI as it relates to wealth management, wealth technology. It's it's so new and so fast moving. Uh, you absolutely have to be on top of that. So you know we try to encapsulate that in our research it forces us to understand and, and monitor the trends. And you know a lot of our clients and accounts they they really appreciate it at the end of the day. No, absolutely. And, you know, there, like you're saying, there is so many things that are changing at a rapid speed, such with AI or automation. And being able to just understand it makes it a lot less overwhelming for clients and customers to know that you're on their side uh, with you're doing that research for them. Absolutely. And, you know, being an investment banker, a lot of my time is spent monitoring deals, transactions, um, uh, and trends specifically driving those deals and transactions uh, because it ultimately um, drives valuation, which is, 
you know, an important uh, part to a lot of our clients is, is determining and, you know, finding the optimal valuation or, or maximizing it in a lot of cases. So, so understanding the, the growth drivers and, and those trends, it's critical. Absolutely. So what, I guess, give us a little bit of a blueprint of the kinds of companies that you represent. Yeah. So, you know, I think at this point, it might make sense also to have um, the alt lending team introduce themselves because, you know, this is an exciting company and that's why I had them join. They are literally on the cutting edge, bleeding edge of, of lending types of companies in the blockchain crypto space. So, you know, while they've done a fantastic job of, of getting the platform up and going, they're just about in our strike zone. Um, but, you know, they would be a great type of client to work with. And I, I think from there, it might make sense for them to kind of introduce themselves, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Alex. Uh, this is Young Cho. Uh, CFO of Alt Lending here with uh, Gennady Gurevich, uh, co-founder and chief investment officer at Alt Lending as well. Um, so Alt Lending is uh, basically we're lending U.S. dollars against uh, blockchain assets. Initially, it'll be uh, Bitcoin, uh, eventually Ethereum, and then as liquidity evolves in this uh, crypto asset world, uh, we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll continue to uh, lend U.S. dollars against other crypto assets. So uh, just just stepping back. Um, Alt Lending is a subsidiary of Dominion Capital. Uh, Dominion Capital is a family office uh, based here in New York, uh, and it deals in three different types of markets, uh, capital markets, uh, real estate lending, and then also in terms of structured products. Uh, so Alt Lending is a uh, brainchild of uh, Gennady and uh, uh, Mikhail Gervich. Uh, they started getting into the crypto space about a year, year and a half ago, and uh, Ever since then, there's been a lot of developments in the market. Uh, things have uh, evolved quite rapidly, and uh, there's been a lot of need for liquidity among uh, Bitcoin holders. So this is how the uh, idea of the uh, vault lending evolved. Um, and since then, they've asked me to join uh, about two to three months ago. We've been looking at the crypto asset class together for, for about a year, year and a half. Initially, uh, just a, a side story here. Initially. I was uh, very skeptical of crypto uh, assets. My my background is in uh, I came from Citibank and UBS, uh, so I've been in the institutional banking world for for almost 20 years. Um, so when I initially heard about uh, Bitcoin, I I was very skeptical, uh, and and I always kind of equate this to uh, when you get diagnosed with cancer or terminal illness, you, you're you're kind of like initially in the uh, denial stage, rejection stage, then you're kind of curious, you want to learn more, you want to kind of dig deeper, and then eventually get to the acceptance stage. So uh, that process for me took about uh, about eight to nine months. And uh, when they asked me to join as their CFO, I was, I was excited because this team here, uh, not only do they know how to lend, have they done a lot of lending in, in real estate, but they've also done a lot of tech startups uh, in, their, in their earlier part of their career. So uh, I think uh, this team has the best of both in terms of uh, know-how in terms of tech startups and also uh, lending and, and trying to bring some institutional um, uh, practices and, uh, and and thinking and know-how in terms of uh, the new blockchain asset world. Absolutely. So your industry is constantly changing, especially like we were talking about earlier with all these new technologies. Um, how are you keeping up with those changes and what are some of the biggest challenges that you are encountering? Uh, hey, it's Gennady. So obviously, you know, one of the biggest challenges is uh, regulatory issues. 
And coming from kind of the financial world, those are issues that we're familiar with while dealing with a lot of investment banks and in our other typical lines of business. So knowing that, we brought a Rockstar General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer on board to help us with the regulatory issues. And we're also reaching out to you know, the movers and shakers of this industry in the legal world to make sure that everything we're doing is you know, by the book and up to bank standards because you know, ultimately we're seeing a future where the big players also get involved and we want to make sure that we're there and able to service them. Awesome. So when someone comes to you with a startup, walk us through what they, can, what they expect to encounter. You know, what do they need to come with? Come to you with? What level um, of backing do they need to have to get started with you? Uh, yeah, so this is Alex again. So I, I would say typically, I, I'm going to segment that answer, or sorry, that question into uh, into a couple of answers here. Um, so there, there are different kinds of startups in different stages, right? And I'm going to tie this into kind of the blockchain, uh, Bitcoin space as, as, as well. Um, so you have really early stage startups. Um, you know, it's a team. It's a concept. They've kind of bootstrapped it. Um, they put a few dollars into it of their own capital, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those are typically companies that we're not able to bank because they're just getting started. And usually in cases like that, uh, I, I advise those startups and those business owners to um, fundraise and to place the capital on their own uh, because it's it's really critical that the founder convey the story and the message and their background directly to the investor or if they're selling the company the same thing. Um, now, where we start to get interested with businesses um, is, is typically when they have um, significant forms of, of institutional, well, significant forms of institutional capital into them of at least you know ten million dollars or so, somewhere in that in that ballpark. Uh, because at that point, the team, the uh, product, the concept has really gelled. Um, it's commercialized. They're selling. They, they might not be making money. Um, so in a case like that, we're very interested in companies like that, um, 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 especially in today's market environment in the fintech financial services space. Um, now, there are much larger companies that are $50, $100 million of business. Um, they are in a different category themselves. But you know, I'm going to focus on those in the middle stage and tie that at kind of into the blockchain Bitcoin space. So the first category, I'll call it bucket A, um, the early stage startups, there are a lot of those. There are hundreds, if not you know, thousands of those businesses in the uh, blockchain Bitcoin space. And then if you throw in the ICOs, I'm sure Young or Gennady have stats around that uh, much better than I do. There are a ton. Um, and they're concepts. They're very early stage, not commercialized. Um, those those businesses are prevalent in the blockchain and Bitcoin space. Um, you have literally open white papers describing every type of uh, business plan process just out and open. It's hyper competitive, and when you have this mania of increasing prices, maybe not so much recently in the Bitcoin Ethereum space, you've had an influx of entrepreneurs. So there are a ton in that Group A category. Now, if you move into the the Group B category, real you know institutional backed companies like Young and Gennady's company um, that have a solid team that have the funding, you really narrow the funnel down a lot. And there's really not many qualified companies falling in that space, but there are more that are flowing into it. So you know, in the broader blockchain space, 
Um, you have applications in um, the insurance space. You have applications, obviously, in the financial services space, an area I'm looking at very heavily uh, with some accounts is in the uh, payments international remittance space. Um, so you're, you're starting to see uh, you know, very real-world use cases of blockchain uh, technology in this Group B bucket. I'm very excited about those companies. I'm excited about the Group A. But, um, you know, to go out and do a proper institutional round or financing, you've really got to fall in the Group B category. Um, Gennady and Young, a question for you. I mean, how many do you think kind of fall into this uh, Group A bucket uh, of, of early, you know, really, you know, companies in their garage still, I guess? And, and how does that impact what you guys are doing, if even it does? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Alex. This is Young. Um, you know, in, in terms of the uh, Group A, we've seen a lot of different uh, – uh, companies, especially in the blockchain uh, uh, industry, I, I would say, and and you know this is maybe painting the industry in a negative stroke, but I, I would say at least uh, 90% of them are in that Group A bucket, and some and a good deal of them are actually probably fraudulent. A lot of these ICOs, I think there was about five billion raised in the past year, year and a half. Um, there's a good deal of them that are just uh, not necessarily viable products or companies. Um, but that being said, uh, there's within what, what you've seen going on in the past year, year and a half, we're really looking for uh, companies that are going to be the next Google, the next Facebook, the next Amazon uh, in the next uh, five to 10 years. Uh, and, you know, in, in the next year, year and a half, you're going to have these kind of companies uh, come out and, and, and out of this uh, uh, primordial pool of pretty terrible companies that's been going on and, and raising a lot of money through ICOs. Um, so, it, you know, when you when you ask about how many of these companies are in this uh, Group A, I, I would say a ton, and a lot of them are, are fraudulent. Now, in terms of the Group B, uh, you know, these are companies uh, that, that you mentioned that are uh, more fundable, uh, more getting more institutional backing. Um, and there's, uh, I would say there's a handful of companies like that out there um, but they're hard to find, and valuations are a little higher. Uh, and and the Series A for or Series B, they usually close quite quickly um, because there is such high demand for for companies like that. Um, Gennady, did you want to add anything to that? Or? Yeah, I would just you know pretty much echo what Young said, as well as add that there's also a very uh, large shortage and a very high demand for people that are experienced with the blockchain technology itself. Since it is such a new technology, it's very promising, but we don't really know how it's going to grow and how it's going to be shaped. It's much like the early internet that didn't really gain, I would say, you know, global traction until Google came out and made everything easily searchable, right? So we're, I think, still waiting for that kind of Google moment in the blockchain space. But I think, you know, seeing the interest that this has generated in the, the top global firms as well as from the people that have been playing with this technology for a while. We are very optimistic. Absolutely. So you guys have been involved with this for a few years now. What is what is something that you see on the horizon that is going to be a game changer? Um, this is Alex here. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what that game changer will be because, as Gennady and Young alluded to, it's it's very early. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I can what I can report and what I can state is. Uh, in the financial services space, you know, the application of blockchain technologies, whether if it's through uh, Ripple, R3, or or others that are lesser known, 
Um, a lot of the bigger financial institutions, um, such as uh, RVC or um, uh, J.P. Morgan or others that, that I know, uh, have done use cases of um, uh, the blockchain technology in their own internal processes. And I'll, I'll point to one example around uh, the global payments network, um, SWIFT, as an example. So SWIFT, for those who don't know, is the um, essentially the protocol uh, to transmit money uh, between banks on a global uh, system. And it's been around for a long time. Um, it almost operates like a telegraph. Uh, it's that old and antiquated. Uh, it's very prone to errors. Um, blockchain technology, in terms of international uh, payments and remittances, it's a it's a beautiful technology in concept because you know your exchange rate instantaneously. You know where the money is uh, in in the pipeline or the rail. Um, it reduces uh, settlement costs. It's 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 the panacea of um, getting payments more fluid, more quick, more efficient uh, globally. So there's been a lot of investment into these types of companies, uh, one in particular, uh, uh, Ripple, and also there have been a lot of uh, investments made at these banks internally. Uh, they have done use cases, and unfortunately, these use cases, they just haven't turned out as, as good as they had hoped. Um, in the financial services space, stuff moves very, very slow. Um, so if you if you hear or if you... Um, uh, it's rather hear companies telling you, oh, it's going to come out in the next year or two. It's probably about a decade to 15 years. <laughs> um, so this, yes, yeah, so this use case that they did internally uh, with some of these larger institutions, uh, it didn't fail, but it didn't go as they planned. And they only rolled this out across a few banks, maybe 30 or 50 or so, um, uh, uh, as a test case uh, for uh, uh, replacing SWIFT. But it didn't, it didn't go as planned. It's not a negative, um, but it's not a setback. It, it's part of the process of implementing it. So it, it, there's a lot to be worked out. The systems and infrastructure and the core banking systems, very complex. Uh, to replace this stuff globally would cost, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, if not more. Um, so it's, it's a process in and of itself that has to be layered on each use case and larger rollouts, and then finally will come. We're probably 10 or 15 years away. I don't know if Young or uh, Gennady have similar views or, you know, can opine on how it relates to their business. Yeah, I think, yeah. Hi, this is Young. Um, no, I 100% I, I agree with what Alex said. There's just, uh, banks are, uh, there's only a handful of banks that are actually seriously looking at this. Uh, JP Morgan's one of them. Um, Citi's looking at it with uh, uh, some, I think with IBM, they're having a coalition um, but uh, most of the other banks are not seriously looking at this, um, and they're they're quite frankly, I think they're going to be very very far behind the game. Then to a point where uh, a lot of the technology is getting ahead of them. We're talking mainly in terms of settlements uh, and uh, um, uh, and and money transfers. Um, where if the technology gets ahead of them in the next couple of years, they're going to wind up playing catch up by by buying them. And uh, essentially, the problem with that, if once they purchase them, they they have a tendency to actually sell, shelve a lot of these technologies, companies that they buy. Um, and for us in, in in the industry, we would really rather not see that. Um, so if this happens, we we we're trying to get ahead of the curve. We're trying to develop the technology fast enough for and to the point where. Uh, we can actually be a self-sustained entity outside of the banking institutions and, 
and maybe, who knows, maybe in the next uh, couple of decades, uh, a lot of these traditional banks uh, will look very, very different or won't, or may not even be around. So why do you think that banks aren't taking it seriously? Do you think that they are simply relying on shelving the companies once it becomes a problem? Do you think that they don't trust that this actually will work? Or why? Yeah, it think, seems like they're they're purposely blocking change, and why is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's quite frankly it's a threat to the whole system. Um, yeah. So imagine you know they've they've been operating this way for you know Citibank's been operating for about 100, 120, 20 years. Um, JP Morgan Chase about the same amount, but they've they've been operating so long in this space where there's very little competition in terms of new types of technologies to settle and transfer money. Um, that's one. The other thing is uh, their their whole premise is based off of the fiat currency, and and the the idea. I've I've I talked to this economist uh, from from J P Morgan, and I asked him what he think about uh, Bitcoin uh, as the replacement currency, and his response was just you know pretty much like any other uh, institutional banking uh, uh, employee. He laughed. And he said, well, you know, governments have the monopoly in terms of printing money. Uh, there's no way in hell that uh, cryptocurrencies will ever replace fiat. Um, and and it's, you know, he's, he's a managing director there. He's, this, is, this is how a lot of the uh, uh, senior managers at the banking institutions uh, think about cryptocurrencies. So uh, it's going to take a long time for them to come, come around. And if, uh, you know, it, it's, it's quite frankly, we're okay with that. Um, we think that uh, this type of technology goes beyond just fiat currency, beyond what the monetary system is. It is, uh, it's uh, essentially transferring value uh, without using the middleman. And this is such a huge revolutionary type of technology that will totally change how banking is done that they can't, the, the employees at the banking institutions just have a very hard time fathoming how it can actually work in the real world. I would also add to that that you know we've seen many industries transformed over the last few decades, and banking is one of the few industries that has not transformed. And seeing as they remain a very profitable entities, they've gotten very comfortable operating in the ways that they have. And not only that, but the regulatory environments that they operate in are often very restrictive. So even if they wanted to institute change, doing that uh, in a quick fashion is very difficult for them. I feel like the banks are going to have to be, you know, really ripped out of their comfort zones here because the people have wanted change for a while. I don't think that everyone really loves what banks are doing or how they do their banking. And this change will come whether or not they believe it's a real threat. So I guess they're living in a denial space at this current time because the people will end up choosing something that will cause change. This is Alex here. Um, a lot are very reticent to um, adopt change, um, but they are aware. They are aware. Every, every single bank from small community credit unions, they're aware uh, to your large you know, institutions. They're very, very aware. Um, um, but but the movement. So one of my accounts I spoke to uh, yesterday. They're they're a big financial technology company. They sell you know a lot of software to uh, banks uh, for their core processing systems. Um, you know thirty forty billion dollar uh, business. Um, they quoted to me uh, actually yesterday uh, that um, the number of deposits or the amount of deposits with digital banks 
um, has doubled in the last three years. Something like 6% of deposits are with digital banks. That was only 3% um, about three or four years ago. So you're, you're starting to see, you know, at, a, at the consumer base, a shift and a rapid growth rate of acceptance of, of digital banks. Now, how does that tie to blockchain and Bitcoin and all this? Um, uh, it's not a direct corollary, but you're starting to see a shift in consumer you know, views and what they want out of their bank. And you know, in Europe, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. In Europe, open banking is, is, is starting to become a big thing. And you have these challenger banks out of uh, the UK uh, that are all digital and they're starting to disrupt the, the ecosystem. Um, you're going to start seeing more of that. Um, but again, it's going to take you know a good ten or fifteen years for this to start to become more mainstream and gain gain traction. Now, I will point to one particular bank that I'm actually impressed with, and they've done a great job. And they're also one of our accounts is Goldman Sachs. So they have really shifted their business model from being your traditional white white shoed white toed uh, investment bank. Uh, that provides corporate advisory services to, you know, orienting themselves to technology. So they 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 have a um, a business that they've backed called Circle, and uh, Circle recently acquired a digital token exchange called Polynex um, here about a month ago or so. And this 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 business that they acquired, they apparently what I'm reading and what I'm hearing out there is they paid almost 400 million dollars uh, for for this business. And um, uh, what Polonex does is, again, it's a, it's a token exchange, Bitcoin, blockchain. Um, it's so forward-thinking. It's so forward-thinking that they are grasping this and they realize where the market is going. So I'm not saying Goldman's the panacea, but you've got really progressive banks like this that are completely reinventing themselves. Um, so, you know, with that being said, we will still change, um, but it's very slow, but you'll see pockets of it. Uh, Gennady, um, stole your thunder there. <laughs> no, no problem. I think actually that's a great point. And uh, another one that I would like to bring up is that, you know, there's billions of people in this world that have cell phones but don't have a bank. And as we've seen with technology, you know, when it evolves, um, you know, look at uh, landlines and phones, right? People in Africa now, they're not building landlines. They all have cell phones. So they can just leapfrog with the help of technology. And you don't need a lot of that legacy infrastructure in place with, with the help of technology. And I think we'll see that innovation happening in places like that. And with the help of blockchain, we're already seeing it in, uh, I believe it's Zimbabwe, that you know doesn't have a history of uh, land records. But now they're putting land records and land titles on the blockchain and keeping track of it that way. So we're seeing very novel ways of using this technology, and we expect that to kind of grow and uh, get polished up over the years. Absolutely. The creativity that follows any new technology from the beginning of time truly, you know, sparks a lot of creativity. So it's a very exciting time to, to be involved in, in blockchain and in finance, and I'm glad that you guys have a service that, that people can come to and get a little more information with their companies that are ready to embrace this. Absolutely. Gennady, um, I have a question for you. I mean, how are you, um, you know, outside of being, a, you know, a lending, a lending platform that's totally cutting edge, um, how are you kind of implementing, you know, these newer technologies into your processes? And I mean, are you implementing even blockchain and 
how you're lending, I guess, or you know, capturing borrowers or, or tracking them and payments on your side. Uh, you know, that's a great idea. Uh, one of the challenges I mentioned earlier in terms of being able to find quality developers that know the space very well is one that we face ourselves. So as much as you know, we want to get hands-on technical expertise with actually developing on the blockchain itself, uh, you know, right now we're focusing our, all our efforts on building out this business and making sure that's a success and making sure that will enable us to go out and kind of uh, research this technology further. But outside of that, you know, we're uh, reaching out to universities, engaging with them, and going to lots of events, meeting with companies, and really just trying to keep up with all the research on how this technology is evolving. Excellent. So how is, what is the best way for people to contact you? Uh, that would be g at altlending.com. That's A-L-T-Lending.com. And then the best website they can visit to learn more and do their own research about it. Sure. Right now we just have a landing page up at altlending.com, but there's a, a lot more to follow soon. Wonderful, wonderful. And Alex, how can people see more about Evolve Capital Partners? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is just go to our website at uh, evolve-capital.com. And, uh, you know, the key team members here are listed on the team page. And you can reach out to any of us. We'd be excited to speak to, uh, you know, anyone that has uh, uh, interest in the space. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for joining us today here. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Julia. Likewise. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This has been Juliette Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.